Good day and welcome to our People's Church at Home service. He has risen and I'm glad that you are able to connect with us on this Resurrection Sunday. The significance of this special day is to commemorate the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. My name is Eugene Maswangani and I'm your host. Firstly, I'd like to greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And today I'd like to share some encouraging facts that someone shared with me a while back. This is to them a considerable way to start their morning and they tell themselves this each morning. Moses would say, Lord, if you don't go with us or before us, we are not going anyway. Abraham would say, the Lord will provide. Jacob would say, I won't let go of you unless you bless me. Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Samuel would say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Nehemiah would say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Solomon would say, Trust in the Lord, O my soul, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Isaiah would say, Arise and shine, for my glory has come, and no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Jeremiah would say, The Lord has plans to prosper me and not to fail me. Jabez would say, Oh, that you may bless me and enlarge my territory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say, We will not bow down to any image, but will serve the Lord. Ezekiel would say, Any dry bones in my life live again. Choose your daily statement of faith. Meditate on it. Speak it every morning. Kindly take note that from this coming Thursday, the 8th of April, you will be able to do Starting Point online. Starting Point is a short four-week program for anyone wanting to find out more about People's Church as well as how to become a member. If you're interested, kindly sign up on our Church Center app or web under the Events tab. Thank you. Set me on a rock. You called. 
Sunday. When I was growing up in the church that I grew up in, the pastor or whoever had the microphone will say, Christ is risen, and everybody will reply, He is risen indeed. So today I bring you good news that Jesus has risen from the dead, and this is what brings us hope as children of God. As I was preparing to share, to encourage you in your giving, I was drawn to the scripture in John chapter 12, verse 1 to 8. I'll read it for you quickly. It says, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot the disciple who would soon betray him said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief and since he was in charge of the disciples' money he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is um, a brief um, encounter that Jesus had with people before he actually went to the cross. 
And as I read this, I thought to myself, we've had so many, you know, messages about this, this particular experience. But there are two things that I wanted to highlight today as we prepare to give to the Lord. The first thing I want to make a point of is the fact that they made him a supper. The New King James Version said they prepared supper for him. And I thought to myself, why were they making him supper? This version says a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. And I thought, who would you normally prepare dinner for or supper for? You would normally prepare that for people who you hold dearly to you or someone that you want to spend time with or someone that you want to appreciate, you know, for being a part of your life or for doing something for you. You know, they wanted to spend time with Jesus. They wanted to be in his space, you know, and appreciate him. We told that this was after he had, re he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So this could have been a, a dinner to honor Jesus for this big thing he had done for them. And apart from the disciples and Jesus, the only other people we told about here are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which tells me that this was probably related to that family event, you know, where Jesus came and raised Lazarus from the dead. The second point I want to make is Mary took a pound of very costly oil. This version says she took 12, took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume. And, you know, it, it occurred to me that this was probably the most expensive thing Mary owned, you know, but for Jesus, nothing was too costly. For what he had done for them or done for her, this was the least she could do, if I could put it that way. And we also told her she wiped his feet with her hair. If you're a woman, you know that your hair is a big deal. And it is a big deal, <laughs> indeed. We don't play with our hair. We, we take care of our hair. We, we actually attach it directly or indirectly to our value and to our beauty as women. So for a woman to take her hair and use it to wipe a man's feet says a lot. It says that she is laying down every single thing that she could possibly hold dearly to her. It was a demonstration of careless abandon. No restraint. You know, she did not care how uncool it made her. It was all about Jesus at this time. She wanted to demonstrate that, you know what, you are everything right now. You are more than everything I've got. And as I read the scripture, I started asking myself, if I'm holding back in my worship, and why am I holding back, you know? Giving is a form of worship. And it made me think, what is the one thing that is dear to me? What is the one thing that is the most expensive for me at this point in time? Like Abraham or Hannah, it was a child, which they were willing to lay down for God. God gave his most expensive gift, his precious son. He was everything he had, but he gave him anyway. Now when you understand, or rather, when you, you have a why, then the what becomes immaterial. You know, so why did God give us something so precious? Because he loved us so much. And why do we need to give him our everything, give him who we are, is because we understand that without him, we would have no hope. So as we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose, as we celebrate the hope that we have as children of God, I want you to be challenged in your giving to God, giving to his work, 
giving to him to to making the lives of his people better the bible says bring your tithes and offerings that there may be food in the house people in this home need food god bless you as you give let us pray thank you father that we get an opportunity to be part of what you're doing thank you lord that you have called us to model to 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 model our lives and our worship after you you are our ultimate example lord and you held nothing back and this morning we hold nothing back from our worship to you we hold nothing back in our worship to you lord even in our pockets even in our finances we want to give you everything that we are today we thank you for all of this in jesus name amen god bless you Hello church, this is that slot for communion. If you've been in church for a while, you know exactly what we do during this time. Those who are parents of young children would be very familiar with, what is that? And, but why daddy? Or, but why mommy? And that one that has been scaring me a lot lately from my six-year-old is, why don't you Google it? So when I was asked, what does communion actually mean? As much as I've been in church for so long, I found myself having to Google it. And as a churchgoer and a Christian, the dictionary meaning surprised me. Communion means an act or instance of sharing. Another dictionary says the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially on a mental or a spiritual level. So communion is defined as an act of sharing or an instance or an opportunity to share. And what then is Holy Communion? It is the service of Christian worship at which bread and wine are consecrated, which means declared to be or to represent the body and the blood of Christ, then shared. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do what exactly? Get together? Share bread and wine, in our case juice? Spend time remembering his body, which was broken for us, and his blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins? And act of sharing and remembering what happened on the cross. So we need to remember what happened on the cross until Christ returns. So why did Jesus want us to be together? Why didn't he give this command to individuals so that we can execute the command alone somewhere in private? Why must it be communion? Why must we share these symbols being bread and juice? Well, Paul attempts to answer this question in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 16 to 17. When we bless this cup at the Lord's table, Aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, as we eat from one loaf of bread, we are showing that we are one body. He carries on rebuking and teaching the Corinth church in his letter in chapter 11, verses 20 to 26 and 33 to 34. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Some of you hurry 
to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you don't bring judgment upon yourself when you meet together. I will give you instructions about other matters when I arrive. So it is clear that Christ's intention is that we share as he shed his body and shed his blood for us. Those who believe in him form one body of Christ. We should together as community partake in Holy Communion to show that we are members of one body. We do this together, not privately, so that those who do not have bread and juice are not left out of this important memorial event. Everyone can get to do this in remembrance of Him. And by doing this, every member of Christ's body can announce the Lord's death until He comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the love that was shown on the cross. The love that was shown for all of us, even those who did not yet love you. We thank you very much that we get to remember this. We get to remember your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we are so grateful that we get to do this so that we can announce your coming one day. We thank you, Lord. We are eternally grateful for the gift of love that you have given us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Welcome to the last session of the conference. It's been such an amazing um, two days, you know, that we have had. And I, I trust and I really believe that you have benefited from the other sessions. And so today uh, I would like to just begin by greeting you with this greeting. He is risen. And everyone says he is risen indeed. Today, we celebrate. Today is, is what is called Resurrection Sunday. And this is the day where we remember and celebrate the fact that even though Jesus died, but he did not remain dead. He was resurrected. He conquered death and he came back to life just as he said 
he would. And today I just want us to focus on the passage of scripture that is found in Matthew chapter 17. We'll read and focus on the first nine verses. And this account is also found on the other two synoptic gospels, which is Mark and Luke. And so in Mark, you will find it in Mark chapter 9, and you'll also find it in Luke chapter 9. But we'll focus uh, uh, on Matthew's account for today. And this is how it reads. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shine, uh, shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, uh, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord God. We pray, Father, that you speak into our lives using this passage of Scripture. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you transform us using this word, Father God, that you do your work in us, that you do what you want to do in us through your word. Pray for all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Hey man, it's very interesting that this, um, this passage actually ends with Jesus giving his disciples a command. And that's what I'm going to uh, just start with. And so Jesus commands his disciples not to tell anyone what they had seen, uh, the vision that they had seen on top of that mountain. But he gives, us, he gives them a time frame. He says, until the Son of Man, who is himself, his other title, until the Son of Man had been resurrected from the dead. And I was just thinking how appropriate it is that we are actually looking at this passage of Scripture today as we are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. And it opens with these words. It says, and after six days, which begs the question, what, happens, what happened six days prior to this? And for that, you just need to turn uh, to go back one chapter to Matthew chapter 16, where it begins to tell us what happened six days prior. We will not uh, read uh, Matthew chapter 16, but I'll just give you a brief overview. What basically took place six days prior to this account is that account where Jesus comes to his disciples and he wants to find out. He asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street? You know, who do people say that Jesus is? They respond by telling him what they had heard. Other people refer to Jesus as, you know, and then he turns to them and he asks them the question that I believe stands before each and every person who has ever lived and each and every person who will ever live here on earth and the question is what about you who do you say that the son of man is i believe this is the question that each and every human being 
has to confront at some point in their lives, has to grapple with and actually resolve for themselves. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who is Jesus to you? And Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, responded and acknowledged and confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that account ends with Jesus giving them um, a promise or making a promise. And he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then straight after that, it says, and six days later. So that is what happened six days prior. And scholars actually believe that what happens now, six days later, is actually the fulfillment of the promise that, he, that Jesus had just made in, in, uh, in verse 28, that some will actually not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so what happens here is Jesus is tra transfigured on top of that mountain is actually the fulfillment of that promise. And so we are told six days later, Jesus takes his inner circle, his closest disciples, which is Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up a very high mountain. And, and Luke actually adds this detail. He helps us to understand. He says the purpose that they went up the mountain was actually to pray. So they went up the mountain to pray. And when they got up the mountain, something completely unexpected happened. We are told that Jesus was transfigured, that his, his appearance changed, that his face radiated with the brightness of the sun and his clothes became whiter than light, you know, as white as light. And Mark also adds the detail. He says there is no bleach on earth that can ever make clothes to be as white as Jesus is in that particular moment. And while the disciples are still trying to comprehend what is happening, something they had never seen before you know i think you know while they are still even trying to collect their jaws from the floor we're told that moses and elijah actually appear before them and moses and elijah are talking with jesus and the interesting thing to note is that at this point in time moses had been dead more than 1700 years and so for me the question that comes to mind is how did they actually know that it was him because no one asks jesus who the two gentlemen standing with him were we are just told you know that they knew and so i'll let you figure that out as we continue and so while that is happening you know moses and elijah appear before them and they speak to jesus and while they are still trying to grapple with that, I told that a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud and it addressed them. And so this is uh, this is a very interesting account, you know, that actually took place in the scriptures. And so the question that I want us to focus on today is, what does it actually all mean? And for that, we will look at the different elements of this account, and we'll start with the transfiguration itself. And so the transfiguration is where Jesus' appearance changed. His face, you know, shone with the brightness of the sun and his clothes became bright. And so the first thing to note here is that the disciples obviously knew that Jesus was fully human. 
the disciples knew, you know, that Jesus was born. You know, they probably, I mean, they knew his, his parents. They knew his siblings. They knew where he grew up. They knew where he played when he was young. You know, and if he, if he attended school, they would know which school he actually attended. Why? Because Jesus was human. They knew that. And now on the top of this high mountain, as they see his body being transfigured, as they see him change from their very eyes, you know, I believe that God is revealing to them that Jesus is also fully divine. He's not just only fully human, but he's also fully divine. You know, he's not like just like any other man, you know, like you and I. He's not just like any other human being. Jesus is actually the pre-existing second person of the triune God. He is the eternal word of God that John talks about in chapter 1. He, You know, Jesus is actually equal with God. He is the second person of the Trinity. You know, but for our second for the sake of our salvation, he had to be limited for a period of time and he had to be made human. He took on flesh and blood and was born through the Virgin Mary. But make no mistake that Jesus is actually fully divine. He is God, even though he took on flesh and blood. He is the one who became Emmanuel, which means God with us when he came and he walked the earth and he lived his life here. And so Jesus is not just another man who lived and did good things and died an unfair death. Jesus is God in the flesh who came on earth with the purpose of giving his life as a ransom for many through that cruel death on the cross. He, that was the purpose for his coming. It was for him to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this spectacular experience that takes place on top of, the, of that mountain actually was not for the benefit of Jesus. This experience was actually for the benefit of the three disciples that Jesus uh, chose and took with him to the top of the mountain. And everything focuses on them. You know, even the voice of the Father is actually addressing them. And this whole experience was actually for their benefit, for them to realize and to know just who Jesus actually is. That Jesus is not just another human being. It's not just another average Joe. Jesus is actually the Son of God who himself is God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And Peter here makes the mistake of equating Jesus um, with Moses and Elijah, where he says, you know, let's just build all three of you uh, tents. You know, let's just stay here. Um, it's good that we are here. Let, let me build, um, if you want, let me build each of you a tent. One for you, one for Jesus, I mean, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And that's the mistake that he makes. He makes the mistake of equating Jesus with the other two uh, beings or people that appeared there. And Jesus is not just another human being. Jesus is the only son of God. And so the next element that we're going to look at is, is actually the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Why them? You know, why were they there? And the first thing that you, that you need to understand is that Moses here actually represents the law. Because remember that it was through Moses that God chose to give the law to his nation, to his children, you know, the children of Israel. He gave the law uh, at Mount Sinai. He gave the commandments and the law through Moses. And so uh, even the first five books of the Old Testament, they were written by Moses and they contain all the laws that God had given to his 
people, which is the nation of Israel. And so, Je- and so Moses standing here and speaking with Jesus actually represents the law. And Elijah, on the other hand, represents the prophets. He is actually considered to be one of the greatest prophets in the entire Old Testament. And so he represents the prophets. And together, they make up what we now know as the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures that were given to the, to the children of Israel. They make up the entire Bible that they had at that particular time. Because remember, the, the New Testament had not even been written yet. And so they make up all of the scriptures that they knew from God. And you see this in Jesus' response to the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law, which was asked in Matthew chapter 22, to which Jesus responded. He said, so it says, Jesus said to him, responding to that question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Okay, so basically uh, Moses standing here representing represents the law, and, and Elijah standing here represents the prophets. Okay, fine. Let us agree with that. But still, what does that actually mean? What does Moses and, and Elijah actually standing with Jesus and talking with him? What does it mean? And in a nutshell, this is what I believe it means. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That is the, the significance of, Jesus, of Moses and Elijah appearing uh, when Jesus is transfigured and actually having that conversation with him. They were actually uh, uh, symbolically saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God had revealed up until that point, of everything that had been said, of everything that had been written, all the law, all the prophets, everything that is contained within the Hebrew scriptures, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that and it's very interesting in Luke chapter 24 Luke records for us a very fascinating account that is known as the road to Emmaus and so this is where two disciples were leaving the city uh, which is Jerusalem and they were going to a nearby village which was called Emmaus and so they are at this particular point discouraged so this was this would have been uh, the equivalent of resurrection Sunday but they had not known that Jesus had been raised yet and so on Friday Jesus was crucified and he was buried in the tomb Saturday you know he is in the tomb he is dead now it is Sunday and they are leaving the city they are going towards this village they are discouraged they are disappointed they are disillusioned because they too had hoped that Jesus would be the one to deliver Israel they had placed their hopes in him they had believed in him and now he has been killed and what's worse is that it is now the third day since he was killed you know since he was buried nothing had changed nothing had happened he had not come back and so all hopes were now lost and they were leaving the city and so without them recognizing him jesus joins them along the road and converses with him uh, about these things and halfway through that conversation luke writes this in chapter 24 in from verse 25 to 27 
And he says, and he said to them, talking about Jesus, so he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And it says, and beginning with Moses, who represents the law, and, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so, and so the law and the prophets uh, during that time, they, they were understood to, com to, to comprise the entire scriptures. The entire Old Testament was made up of the law and the prophets. And so now these two actually standing with Jesus were, uh, were, were actually saying that he is the one who is the one who fulfills both the law and the prophets. And so the law and the prophets, all the authors of the Old Testament were actually forerunners. They were pointing towards the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of that one person they were expecting to deliver and to liberate their nation. And here on this mountain, God the Father gives these three disciples a vision confirming beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the one that the prophets had always been prophesying about, that the law was pointing towards. Here, it actually seems that the same way that John the Baptist had testified that Jesus was the Christ, you know, that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that also Moses and Elijah are also doing the same thing, saying he is the one pointing to Christ, you know, saying that he's the one we've been writing about, we've been talking about, we've been prophesying about. And if you read Hebrews, he, the writer of Hebrews even takes it, Another, to another level, he takes it one step further. If you read Hebrews chapter 3, and the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that in fact, Jesus is incomparably greater than both Moses and Elijah. He's not just equal to them. He's not just like them. That Jesus is incomparably greater than both of them. Why? Because as great as Moses and Elijah were, as faithful as they were, and as powerful as the ministries that God had given them were, they were faithful only as servants. And there the writer of Hebrews makes the distinction when it comes to Jesus. He says, but Jesus was faithful to God as a son, as the only begotten son of God, which makes him completely different, which places him in a completely different category than both of them and all the other, um, you know, all the other prophets of the Old Testament, all the other servants of God, regardless of how great they were. Jesus is greater than them because they are just servants. They are just serving God. They are just human beings. But Jesus is the son of God. Jesus himself is God. And last but not least, the last element I want to touch on when it comes to this experience on the mountain is actually the voice of the Father. We're told that a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him or hear him. He is the big deal whom the Old Testament testified about. He is the captain of our salvation. He's the chief cornerstone of God's spiritual temple, the head of the church, which is his body. Jesus is the only son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh and Jesus is 
the Messiah, the long-awaited, and uh, you know, Christ, the anointed one. And so, as I conclude, you know, the theme for our conference uh, for, for this year has been built to last because we really want for you, for each and everyone, to actually have a life that is built to last, to have a marriage that is built to last, to have relationships that are built to last. And if you want that kind of life, the kind of life that is built to last, if that is the desire of your heart, if that is something that you would say you want, then I would encourage you to make sure that you are building your life on the right foundation. A foundation when it comes to buildings and structures is very important. It is important that you make sure that you build your life on the right foundation. And if you have never considered uh, building uh, your life on the rocky foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never considered that, then I would love to invite you to actually place your faith upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. On your behalf, I would invite you, you know, to actually accept him into your life, to accept what God has done for you on your behalf by sending him to die as a substitute for you. On the cross, and I would like to read this verse uh, for you today, which is basically when Paul writes to Timothy in the in the letter uh, to Timothy, and so Paul writes to him, and he says in chapter two, beginning of chapter two, he says all forms of prayer must be given for all people, he, and then he says for kings, for for rulers, for everyone who is on in authority, so that we can live lives that are peaceful and quiet, lives that are marked with godliness and dignity. Then Paul says this in verse 3 to 4. He says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that last part of this verse clearly demonstrates, contrary to what so many other people actually believe, that God wants all people to be saved. He's not out there to get you. You know, he's not patiently waiting you to make a mistake so that he can punish you. But on the other hand, you know, in, in contrary, he is actually patiently waiting for you to turn and to make a decision to, to return to him, to make a decision to follow him, to make a decision to give your life to God, to humbly ask him to forgive your sins and to ask him to save you from his coming judgment. That is the desire of God. And, and Paul says to Timothy, God desires all people to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And, and the fact of the matter and the truth of, the, of, this, uh, of this invitation is that time will one day run out. But today, you and I have the opportunity to accept Jesus and what God has done for you on the cross. Jesus, which is what we are celebrating, which is what we are talking about this weekend. Jesus is the Son of God who was given by God on your behalf and on my behalf to die upon that cross for our sins, not for his sins. And what is left for us to do is to simply accept what God has done, to simply accept the gift that God has given us, which is salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. And my hope is that you will take this important step in your life because no one else can do it for you. Only you can do this, can take this step for you. And that is my desire. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this weekend. We thank you, Father, for what this weekend means, for what this weekend symbolizes, for what this weekend reminds us of, that we were hopeless, Father, that we were dead in our sins, but you, because of your great love, that you sent your one and only Son to die upon that cross of Calvary on our behalf, so that, Father God, salvation for our souls may be possible, so that Lord God, forgiveness of our sins may be possible. We thank you for what you have already done. And I pray, Father God, that you help each and every one of us that have not made this decision to, to be able to accept what you have done for us, Lord God, to accept this great gift of salvation and to live a life, Father, that is dedicated to you, to live a life that honors and, and pleases you, Father, a life that is worthy of all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you so much. Help us to live, Father, each and every day as we live from this day onward, to live lives that honor you, to live lives that are full of gratitude because of what you have done on our behalf on the cross. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus Christ's mighty name, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Monley. That was a profound and life-changing teaching today. Let us remain encouraged knowing that through prayer, the Holy Spirit can and will transform our lives. Just as a reminder that we have resumed with our weekly prayers, you are encouraged to register your attendance prior to attending. Prayers will be held between 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. May our Lord's peace be with you. Wishing you all a highly favored and productive week ahead.